This is the Let's Get Real Estate Show with your host, Danielle Chason. Full-time investor, strategic consultant, motivational coach, sought-after speaker, and host of your number one real estate investing show, Let's Get Real Estate, where real people are doing real estate. Hey, everybody, it's Danielle Chason here with the Let's Get Real Estate podcast. I am your host, and today we have Adney Fernandez in the house. Woo-woo. Hey, Adney, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for the invite. Uh, you know, I was very excited uh, when I saw that you were doing the podcast. So uh, we've always gotten along quite well. Uh, you always have great energy. So I'm looking forward to doing this podcast with you. Yeah, I'm just trying to match your energy because you're okay. always so passionate and optimistic about everything. And so uh, so today I want to tap into that a little bit and see if that optimism is still there with the economy and raising money and all of that. But before we get to it, I just want to introduce you to the audience. The listeners might not have heard who you are yet. Um, Adney Fernandez, as he's alluded to, I've known for many years. He is a real estate investor in the GTA area, and he does primarily commercial investing. And his portfolio is just north of $80 million. Um, it's about, I think, 20 doors, uh, or sorry, 20, 20 properties. Oh, shoot. I've totally forgotten, Adney. That's okay. Uh, so 17 properties so far that I'm uh, operating, managing, uh, just under 20. I'm going to be happy to bring it up to 20 pretty soon. <laughs> yeah, and you're working. And that's over 100 doors, by the way, guys. I just had to check my notes. I'm like, oh, no, where are my notes? Okay. So, uh, so yeah, so he's he's been doing this for a long time. Uh, he's very well-versed, started out in the, the residential side, and then shifted over to commercial and never looked back. So a couple of things I want to tap into today. I think a lot of people are going to be asking or that are listening or wondering, why commercial? Why would I flip from residential to commercial? And what are the benefits of that? And then, of course, I want to talk about how you get to 80 million and raising. You've raised over 40 million dollars in private money. And so that is something I definitely want to tap into. And, you know, how do we do that in today's economy? So before we get started, though, Adney, tell, tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got into real estate, because you didn't start with a real estate background. And so, um, why real estate and how? So real estate only came about out of necessity for me. I, and I look like an, an academic, but I am not. I, <laughs> I unfortunately am one of those guys. I was very much a C to a D student in high school. And what ended up happening was I couldn't get into the universities that I applied to. And I applied to all of them. I couldn't get in because my grades were quite bad. Uh, so I came out of high school with a, a linear understanding of my intelligence. I personally thought I wasn't that smart. Uh, and I learned years later that I was. I just wasn't I just wasn't soaking in the information in the traditional sense in high school. So I, I didn't really conform to my needs or I didn't conform to that need. Uh, I learned later on as I was working, I'm going to fast forward a couple of years, I was actually working three jobs. So I figured out during this time, I'm never going to be a CEO. I'm never going to be an executive. I may not even have, you know, a managerial level job. I just, my confidence was just not there in the job market, right? Because of the high school thing. And I thought, how can I make money for myself if I never have a pension? The obvious answer to me was real estate. 
at that point, there was a little bit of a buzz on residential real estate. And so I thought, you know, what if I bought one property every couple of years, work uh, regular jobs, paid it off in 30 years, then I would have my retirement. It was pretty simple. So that's what I did. I actually ended up working three jobs um, at once for three years. I slept about three, possibly four hours a day for three years, which was bad. Uh, I wouldn't recommend it. I worked two corporate jobs during the daytime and uh, one part-time uh, one part-time office job on the weekends. And I'll tell you, I was doing real estate on the side, had no life, <laughs> and I was buying uh, condos, semis, and houses. Now, it seems like the formula was working for <laughs> six months, and then I got a, a string of bad tenants. You know, things started breaking down. So as you know, Danielle, what happens is, if you if you own residential real estate, the margins are quite thin. You make one mistake. One mistake happens. It takes you the entire year to recoup that loss. And then the following year, you're profiting. So there's that long-term planning that I did not have. I thought it was as simple as buying a place, renting it out. In 30 years, I'm free. I made a lot of mistakes as a residential investor. I still don't think I'm a good residential investor. About the only thing I have right now residential is my personal house. That's it. That's it. Um, so what ended up happening was I made a couple of mistakes and I realized, you know what? I'm just it's, it's too hard of a grind. You know, working three jobs plus real estate on the side. Plus, by then I'd met my girlfriend, of course, now wife. And I knew I want to be a family man. Uh, for me, I actually want to be a stay-at-home dad. As you know, we've talked about this quite a bit. It's a little bit of my philosophy, a little bit of passion. What ended up happening was um, I wanted to quit my three jobs. The only way I thought I could do it was by moving, teaching myself how to do commercial. I wished I had somebody teach me how to do commercial because I made mistakes with my own money. But I bought two properties, you know, six flats, a 26-unit building. And honest to goodness, I made just enough money to be a stay-at-home dad with my boys. So this wasn't like the luxurious stay-at-home dad lifestyle. I made just enough money to support my family and stay at home while also managing uh, those two really big commercial properties. I learned quite a lot in about 24, 36 months. And then I took the good parts and I rinsed and repeated. And so what I did was I tried to keep my home life um, or my work life to about 20 to 25 hours a week. That was it. And the reason I did that is because obviously I was a stay-at-home dad. Yeah, my wife would go to work and I would be home. So I had to be available for my kids, right? I had to raise them as well. Plus, of course, by the time my wife came home, hey, dinner had to be ready. Right? Chores had to be done. Errands had to be done. But uh, I was that guy who stayed home, did that, ran a commercial real estate business on the side. As my kids got into daycare, so around uh, two and a half, three years old, I decided, okay, now I can put ooh, three, four hours a day into this steadily. And so then I started acquiring more properties. Now, as my kids got older, they're 13 and seven now, I'm still a work from home dad. I'm still um, you know, uh, 20, 25 hours a week, except now instead of having one to two properties, 
uh, I'm at 17. And with an $80 million portfolio, I've got developments, I've got more companies coming, but uh, it's just a natural growth over 17 years. So keep in mind, guys, to whoever's listening, it's not overnight. It took yeah. me a long time, a hard grind. You know, as Danielle alluded to earlier, we've known each other for quite a while, a number of years, well before uh, COVID happened. And uh, we've been around the block and then some. You know, we've been there. We've been through the hard stuff. And now it feels like it's getting easier. I'm going to wait till I'm 20 years in. I've got another three years to go, guys, before I get my little 20-year pin in real estate. But uh, hopefully it gets easier after 20 years. Yeah, you know, I think it does. It's a long-term game plan. That's what I tell people. So many people are like, I'm going to quit my job and buy property. And and then it doesn't work that way. It just doesn't work that way. It's a seven to 10 year game plan before you really start seeing some revenue that you can, some cash flow that you can consider as income when you're in the residential space. But commercial, you're right, is maybe a little bit different. The risks are different. The cash flow is different. It is a different animal but it's still a long-term game plan and you reap the rewards. Yeah. It takes, it takes, it takes a decade of commitment. Um, I would say a, de- a decade is actually absolutely accurate. And I'll tell you why, you know, I follow, this is an old adage, the 10,000 hours or 10 year rule. I think if you're going to be an expert in anything, anything from real estate to, you know, energy sector to selling to, you know, whatever it is, Honestly, I think everybody who's passionate about something, you're right, they want to make money out of it, they want to live that lifestyle, dedicate at least 10,000 hours or 10 years. And I think that gets you into the category of being an expert. You're still not a master. I can't even say I'm a master. I run seven companies now in parallel. I still can't say that I'm, you know, a master of real estate. I'm also learning as I go. That's something I do enjoy, Danielle, uh, quite a bit. I enjoy challenging myself because I don't want to be bored. And that's what happened when I was in my corporate jobs. I was bored so much. I mean, you're doing one function of one job and it's the same thing every day. I just, I couldn't do it then. I prefer the dynamic lifestyle that we have. You know, in your case, you could be doing residential one day could be doing uh, like buying holds one day, renovations another. You could be doing podcasts the third day. You could be marketing, branding the fourth and so on. It's, it's, it's a beautiful dynamic lifestyle, but it's not for everybody. It isn't for everybody. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more, Adney. I'm that way too. I just love doing new things and having new challenges. And I believe that's the entrepreneurial spirit that we all share. And I would venture to guess that even our listeners has that. And that's why you're here. And so embrace that need for, for more and just, and feed that. It's almost like an animal. So I love that. And especially in our market right now, we need to be able to shift and be fluid because the market is changing dramatically and it's happening in real time. And so I want to circle back to raising capital with you, Adney, because you've raised over $40 million in capital. And that's like, that's a very impressive number. And we've had a decade of raising money. It's been very, very simple and easy. And so I want to know what you're doing different now and what you see happening in the future when it comes to raising capital. 
Okay, so that's great. Uh, what I'll do is I'm going to go back a little bit and tell people just a little bit about uh, some of my mistakes that I actually made raising capital, because honestly, I think anybody and everybody can raise capital. So the mistake I made when I first started doing commercial, I realized back then that I couldn't pull out enough equity out of my residential to buy commercial. It was just a tough time, okay? Um, a lot of the private money didn't make sense. So I decided, hey, I'm going to be an expert. I'm going to raise capital. One of the mistakes uh, I'll tell you is that I was begging people. So I had no paperwork, no documentation, no presentations, no PDFs, no supporting documentation. That's the right word. Guys, when you're raising money, have supporting documentation. Okay, a rent rule, a little pitch deck, something to show that you have something written out. It shows the other people that you are prepped and prepared for the money that's incoming. If you come in and write stuff down on a post-it note or a napkin, that's not really the way to raise safe and secure money against real estate. Okay, There's a process here. It's been done for centuries. We just have to kind of follow it. Okay, So the second mistake that I made was begging people for money. Okay, so I would, hands and knees, please give me $5,000 so I can, I can go buy commercial real estate, please. And uh, I'm telling you that that strategy just did not work. Perception and optics are absolutely key, guys. And of course, that confidence, those optics, and all of that actually comes with you successfully raising money securing it, and then deploying that money, rightfully so, into investments, whether residential or commercial. So with confidence comes that little tweakability that you can add, and you can improve as you go. But guys, supporting documentation, don't beg for money. Make sure your deal is good before you go out, and don't beg for it. Just have a regular conversation about it. So now I'm going to fast forward to now. Um, during COVID, actually, the, obviously, the rules started changing. Banks and credit unions were getting a lot stiffer. Uh, private money, my goodness, let's talk about that for a second. Private money has skyrocketed in the last two, two and a half years. Even pre-COVID, I noticed that private money was escalating. In terms of price, uh, I have first lenders that want to charge 15 to 17% as a first, right? Not including fees. Um, recently, I heard, now I haven't been able to verify this, but I recently heard that BMO is also offering seconds, okay, uh, for 15 to 17%. Now, that's pretty crazy for BMO. Like, if you think about it, a bank or credit union, generally, they're in the first position space, safe, secure, over 25, 30, 100 years, they know how much money they're going to make, right? So every, the formula that a lot of lenders use, because I talk to these guys quite often, is that every uh, 20 to 25 years, they're actually making one and a half times their money. Okay, so about 150% is what they're aiming to make back on the capital that they put out, that they're obviously borrowing from regular people like us, but on that borrowed money, on that capital given out, they're making 150% over 20 to 25 years. 
So imagine now that formula over 100 years. Well, they're making three to five times their money back, right? So that's how banks at a base level, that's one of the ways that they make their money, okay? Now you got to start thinking about it. If a bank like BMO is starting to get into the private space, you can see how lucrative it has been. It really does change the guidelines quite a bit. So back to how to appeal to raising private capital. So we're not talking about banks. We're not talking credit unions. We're not even talking about the big private lenders. We're just talking people to people. Guys, what I would say is you probably want to be on top of your game. Whatever your niche is, <laughs> whether you're you're in horses, whether you're in you know renovations in real estate, what whatever your niche is, make sure you're good at it. Okay, uh, you could be doing lease to owns, you could be doing wholesales, you could be doing commercial. So even in commercial, there's twenty different types of commercial that you can acquire. Specialize in two or three. And become an expert in it, okay? Uh, don't be the jack of all trades. Now, this is basic advice, but it has served even me well because my mind can go in 10 different directions at once. I can take on 10 different things at once, but I probably won't be able to run all of those 10 different sectors in parallel, right? So what I would say, guys, is whatever you choose that suits your lifestyle, Become an expert at it. And remember, expert means 10,000 hours or 10 years. Okay, get good at what you're doing. The other part of the equation is having some kind of proof. It could be one residential property, could be five, could be one commercial building, whatever it is. If you have at least a shred of proof, um, then you can, you can actually present that as part of your pitch deck. Uh, you can talk about it at least, right? You might be able to provide some su supporting documentation, financials. These are the key things that I've learned over time. When I raise money from, let's say, Danielle, for example, I try to figure out what she does. Now, if we both do commercial, well, then maybe there's no point in doing that, in raising money from, from each other. But if she does renovations and I do commercial, well, there's an opportunity for her to invest in part of my commercial fund so I can diversify her a portfolio into medical apartment buildings and industrial, which is uh, three of my main office too there, but that's part of industrial. But, you know, I can diversify, diversify her. Now, the only reason I can talk about that, guys, is if I become an expert in my own niche. I don't have to compete with anybody else in my field. I just have to be good at what I do. Um, another piece of advice, so building off of that, another piece of advice is a lot of people uh, go out, okay? They explode out and think, I need to raise money from everybody and their mother. I don't find that to be true. Now, I think everybody has a network, a core network of 10, 20, 30 people that they know. Now, I'm also including friends, family acquaintances, co-workers, and so on. Um, you know, professional workers, a dentist, realtor, everybody has a small network. So I'm going to say under, under 50, okay? So there's somewhere between 10 to 50 people. Everybody knows that many people. The thing is, you're, you have, most people haven't yet 
built out their business to go and talk to everybody else about it. Okay, most people go, I want to raise money. I've, you know, I've bought my own home. Let me go talk to somebody I know. Let me go to a real estate meeting and talk to somebody I meet there about doing real estate and perhaps raising the capital. That's a mistake. Okay, what you want to do is prep yourself. So I'm sure before, for example, before Danielle goes out and buys a, a home for renovations, right? And if she has to raise money, she's going to prep and prepare. She knows what she's doing. She's been in the field X amount of time. She has probably a list of 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 people that she's probably known over her lifetime. Well, what if she takes the idea that she has and perhaps one or two projects she's done prepares a pro forma, which is a fancy word for financials, just prepare a case study. That's the easy way to do it. Prepare a little case study, guys. Make a list of everybody you know in your Excel file and just do a soft chat with them. No need to send out a big email. No need to do huge videos and set up websites and social media campaigns. Just have a soft chat with the people you know and see if there's anybody that would be kind of... Um, like-minded. That's the easiest way to get into the capital raising. Now, remember, you still have to know what you're doing. You have to know that you need to repay that capital back and then some. You have to have exit strategies. For a lot of this, guys, I would highly recommend getting a mentor. It could be anybody you know, minimum of 10 years in the business, 10,000 hours, and you go after the mentor that's in your niche. Guys, remember that if you want to do, let's say, uh, a burr, you know, a renovation, uh, you know, a more complicated uh, renovation strategy, please go after somebody that's built their business on renovations. I'm a buy and hold kind of guy. I am not, I'm no longer, a renovations kind of guy. So you would not come to me, guys, to do residential renovations. I, I wouldn't mentor you. If you came to me for building a commercial portfolio, of course, I can help you. So go after the mentor, guys that can teach you how to raise capital, can teach you about your business a little bit more, right? That's basics. Uh, those are basics there. Uh, I still use that. The reason I mentioned those tips, guys, is because I still use that now. So uh, back to Danielle's question. In the last two and a half, three years now for COVID, that's what I've done. I've actually gone back to my way of raising capital, which is going back to my core group of a couple of hundred people, a couple of thousand people. And I have soft chats with these people, even though I've known them for years. I have soft chats with them and go, hey, guys, this is the direction my company is going in. I'm diversified across X. I have X amount of experience. Can I get your help? Would we be able to work on this together? Provide supporting documentation and off you go. Funnily enough, it's the same thing when I'm doing refinances. Danielle, it's, it's the same thing. I will actually prep or prepare the property, case studies, performance, financials, uh, and I'll present them to a potential lender, whether private or, or a bank credit union. That's actually how I've been able to do uh, six refinances with the seventh one going on right now in the last two and a half years, which, by the way, is just as difficult. So refinancings have become just as difficult as I would say raising capital, but in the raising capital side, I'm working with my own people, my own group. I'm no longer going out to 
a hundred different people that I don't know and saying, hey, let's work together. I, I'm going to my core group. I think that's one of the biggest things that I've pivoted over the last two and a half years. I've gone back to my core group instead of going out and saying, hey, you know, I've got more than 10 years of experience. I've got X amount, uh, X amount of portfolio. Here's kind of my strategy. I know what I'm doing. Here's why. And I'd like to work together. How can we work together? Um, the other little tip that I'll give you guys before ending this this part here is maybe have two options. So it's a little, this, this is a bit of an advanced trick now. I teach this to my mentees. Have two options, guys. When you're raising capital, not everybody is going to fit into your mold, right? So why not have two options um, on what to do with that money? So let's say I'm raising money from Danielle. Just as an example, I'll give you an advanced example. Let's say I'm raising money for, for Danielle for a new medical fund that I have incoming, right? She's, I'm going to guess she's got probably a couple of hundred thousand to her name. So I'll ask her, hey, you know, could I diversify and get maybe a hundred thousand of that? I'll deploy it to medical. Danielle might come back to me and go, Adney, I don't know if medical is the right space for me there. It's a bit too long. It's slow. It's boring. So on and so forth. Returns are too small. I might come back and say, there's a second option. What if I can borrow that same hundred thousand against one of my acquired assets and I will pay you 10% annually. So now what I've done is I've repurposed her funds and allowed her the option to invest with me. At the end of the day, guys, if somebody gives you a no, God bless, be on your way, come back to me when you're ready. So that's the other attitude that I take. Guys, it's not just me needing the money at that time for my purpose. The other person, in this case, Danielle, has to be ready to give me the money. What if she's going through something uh, good, bad, or ugly, and, and you know she's just not ready to deploy that money, available or not? What if she wants to send her kids to school and she wants to save up for an RESP? There are a thousand and one reasons why somebody says no. I don't focus on the no. I focus on giving people two options. If they can do something, great. If they can't, hey, that's okay. I'll talk to you when you're ready. Come back to me. Uh, to that end, the longest I've had a person wait and come back to me, Danielle, was eight years. Eight wow. years. Yeah, I had a conversation with somebody a long, long time ago when I had lots of hair. And uh, <laughs> you know, I met this person quite recently at an event. And that person said, Adney, you know, we met eight years ago. I still remember our conversation. And now I'm in a different stage of my life. I'm ready to give you the money. I ended up raising half a million from this one gentleman. Way back when, it was only 100000 But he came mm -hmm. forward and said, you know, I like your plan, like your strategy. It took me a long time, but I'm in today. And so that was an eight-year span of me waiting. And I remember, I'm not chasing people down. I do regular follow-ups every couple of years like anybody else. But... We didn't touch base for eight years. And when he came back, boom, it hit. It hit quite well. And now he's, of course, one of my one of my investors in one of my projects. And a lot of times, too, Adney, maybe they're not the right investor, but sometimes maybe it's just a not, not the right project. Or even, and this has happened to me, they weren't 
a good fit to be an investor, but I've worked with them in a different capacity in my business. And so don't get offended if you get a no, just shift, reallocate, revisit the situation and see if there's another way to work together because sometimes there's other opportunities there. You just need to keep your eyes open for them, right? That's what it is. Uh, I I do find, and this, I'm going to say it about myself. I used to be fairly linear. Uh, I used to have tunnel vision. That's what it's called. I used to have tunnel vision. I used to be very linear in my goal. I'm going to go talk to this person. I'm going to raise this much money in this span of time because I want to buy this building. All of that, guys, is wrong because... Mm-hmm. The, and, and Danielle's nodding because she knows I should be thinking the other way, okay? I should be thinking, what is does an investor want out of their money? What is the right fit for them? Maybe they want to retire in three years, and investing in my 10-year plan is not the right fit. So nowadays, guys, especially in the last, I'm going to call it 12, 13 years, I've really started to shift, pivot, and look at what in an investor needs. In fact, a big part of my conversation, guys, when I talk to somebody is finding out more about them. How many kids do they have? You know, are they married, single? Uh, Do they have uh, parents that they support, which is normal? Um, Multi-generational family. Do they have one job? Do they have no jobs? Are they doing a career change? When do they want to retire? I probably have a list of 15, 20, 30 questions that I ask, and it takes me, no lie, an hour to get to know somebody before I open my mouth. I'm talkative here today. But when I do um, when I do talk to potential investors, it takes me a solid hour, sometimes an hour and a half, guys. I, I spend a lot of time getting to know my investors. And even then, I'm not asking them for money. I wait. Second call, third call, meeting, let's go for coffee, a dinner. I really do want to get to know them because once I make the connection and the fit, I'm hoping it works. And if it doesn't work, well, would I be able to use their resources? Would they have access to maybe some friends who have some properties? Uh, Danielle put it the right way. Not everybody's going to be an investor uh, in the in the raising capital sense. They might have resources. They might have skills that you might be able to use. You know, maybe you can't raise 100000 out of Joe. But maybe he's he's been doing social media for 10 years and you could use his help in your business on social media. So I think what Danielle said is very important. Keeping your your ears open, your mind open to other possibilities. Raising capital is just, it's linear. Okay, but don't make it a one-way street, guys. Keep it a two-way street. Let the other person tell you what you're looking for. And then you can just try and marry them up. So a lot of times, to that point, uh, a last point on this, I have requests for money monthly. It's been that way for 12, 13 years, okay? People think I have a little bit of money. Uh, You know, you're doing commercial. Ooh, you know, you must be rich. No, no, it's not the case. But I have a lot of people hammering me, bludgeoning me with requests. Hey, give me money for this. Give me money for that. I want to start a pen company. Give me, you know, a couple hundred thousand. Oh, Adney, I'm thinking about a, a fancy renovation strategy. Uh, give me a million dollars. You know, you can take whatever you want. I have people hammering me, Danielle. 
all the time. Every month, I'm telling you, I get requests for money, for businesses, for investments, uh, both on the private side and public as well. And I tell people all the time, put some time into it. Show me what you can do. Can we stretch out? Can we stretch that out, right? Give me a little bit of a breather to consider you, right? Court me a little bit over time, right? Spend some time with me. Do you know anything about my philosophy? Uh, maybe, maybe not. Okay, spend some time with me as as uh, as the money person. Okay, and that's the once that's one of the biggest things that I've done over time, over the last especially two and a half, three years. I've spent a lot more time with people because COVID really has changed the landscape. It has also not just affected real estate. I think it has affected people's lives in a deeply personal way. Relationships have changed. People are reconsidering whether they want to work full-time these days. You know, uh, retirements uh, have been elongated because of the loss of money in those last two and a half years. All of that has a very profound effect on the investors. And I need to know what's going on in your life before I start to talk to you about my investments because I'm the last thing you need to think about. You got to take care of you. You got to take care of your family, right? You got to take care of your retirement, your income. Well, maybe on that last part, I might be able to help, right? But I need to know about the first part first because if you're not in the right place, well, I'm not going to talk to you about money or investments or real estate or anything like that. And I am so glad that you said that because um, that's what I tell my students. You have to build rapport with people and you can be transactional or you can be relational. You can't be both. And you will find longevity when you are more relational than you are transactional. I, for one, I'm like you, Adney. I get very annoyed and irritated when people I haven't, people that I know even, I haven't heard from them. Then all of a sudden they call and they say, Hey, I got a deal. Do you want to do this with me? Or, Hey, I got, you know, and then, and then they do, they start hounding. It's like, um, yeah, okay. But like you only show up when you want something from me, that's transactional. And that's not how I operate. And I think there's a lot of operators out there that can make that work. But I think that's the harder path to take because you're constantly, you know, chasing people to make it happen as opposed to building a relationship, which is what you're alluding to. And I, I appreciate that you're sharing that with our audience today and everything that you shared today about raising capital, hundred percent on point, you know what you're talking about. You've been through it. You've learned and you've grown. And I appreciate you sharing with the audience before we leave um, and sign off for for this episode, is there anything that any last minute words of wisdom that you wanted to share with people um, who who might be looking at getting into it or wants to scale up? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, one of the biggest things I can say, guys, is uh, get a mentor. You know, I alluded to this before. I'm going to say it again. Um, I've been giving advice for 17 years, and I know there are lots of people just like me. Uh, in their own niches, their own space that are so good at what they do. Guys, don't repeat the mistakes. You don't need to struggle as much. Get somebody that can take you under their wing, build a relationship, which is what we're talking about, and get them to teach you, show you, even offer a few paragraphs of advice, sentences, words of advice over a couple of months goes a long way. I have that, guys. I have different kinds of relationships with different kinds of people 
at different levels. I, I know uh, guys that have a $100,000 portfolio, and I know guys that have a couple of hundred million dollar portfolios, hedge fund managers and such. I get different kinds of advice from everybody at different points. Okay, it really has helped me grow. So that's one of the first things. Second thing I will say is I, coming out of COVID, I really think we all need to take a look at what we want to achieve. Money is, is going to be a byproduct of what you want to do. You can start a website selling car parts. You could, uh, you know, buy and renovate and hold and rent uh, a building. Uh, you can start a medical company. Whatever it is, guys, just make sure, okay? Just, may, just make sure you're starting off with good relationships. You're really starting off with getting to know that market. That's super key. That's going back to mentorship, but uh, getting to know your market is absolutely key. Developing your philosophy, guys. My philosophy is, and, and Danielle knows this because I've said this so many times, I want to be a stay-at-home dad, okay? a work-from-home dad. Work from... <laughs> I still want to work while being a, uh, a stay-at-home dad to my boys. I still want to be able to bring in money, but that's my philosophy, guys. I don't push it on anybody else. So I've been able to do that successfully for 13 years now uh, to my two boys who are 13 and 7. I'm very proud to say, you know, I've been doing 20, 25 hours a week working while now managing seven businesses. And I still am home. I still put my kids on the bus every single morning. And I still am home with them when they get off the bus because that's all I do, guys. Lots of time with my kids and, and uh, mostly annoying my wife. But uh, yeah. <laughs> but develop your philosophy, guys, and then build on it. Money is just a byproduct. Money will mm -hmm. come. You can get a power team. You can get people to help you. Mm -hmm. But I, I don't think it's the most important thing. If you focus only on money, it might let you down because it's your main focus. Make money the secondary or tertiary focus. Focus on, on, on what you want to achieve and then what you want to do. Let's start developing that game plan, guys. That's the big one. Um, last piece of advice. If you do the first two things that I said, guys, the, that last piece of advice is pretty simple. Take action. Hey, Danielle, how many yeah. times have we talked to people that we've met over the years that are, I'm going to say this kindly, tire kickers? see them once in a while, they appear, they disappear, just fine. But then nothing has changed with them over a couple of years. And now they are there hammering you for some kind of deal. Give me money, give me resources, give me free mentoring, give me free advice. And I do. I do give people free advice all the time. I give people lots of advice. Ask me how many times people action that advice. Mm -hmm. So that's the big one, guys. If you're approaching confident, successful people who've built their companies, right, and are now offering advice to you, guys, action the advice. That's one of the best advices I can give. Don't just listen to it. Go out and action. Those are the three things that I would really uh, leave you guys with. Uh, just make sure to action it, okay? Because if you're not actioning it, guess what? We're going to have the same conversation in five years. And that's not what we want to see as educators, as, as speakers, as, you know, uh, business builders, as entrepreneurs. We want to see you guys succeed. We do. 
I'm a big fan of the everyday guy like me and like Danielle, you know, developing our personal lives and developing our business lives as well. I hope to see Danielle uh, when I have no hair anymore and I'm completely gray. <laughs> Still doing this business. So uh, I'll leave you guys with that. So you heard it here, guys, from Adney. This is what you need to do. You need to get a mentor. Step one. Step two is build a plan. And step three is action, the advice and that plan. You heard it here. So I am absolutely loving the fact, everything, just absorbing everything that you shared, Adney. Thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing with the listeners and my audience. And I know that there's lots of key takeaways for people to take off of this podcast. So I appreciate you. Thank you so much. Um, this is, this, this is it. We got to sign off. I want to keep going, but I can't. So I'm going to sign off. So this is Danielle Chason, your host for the Let's Get Real Estate podcast, signing off. Bye for now. Bye guys. Thanks so much for listening to our podcast and congratulations on improving your education real estate. Please leave a review only if you felt we provided value as it would really help us if you would leave a five-star review so that we can help reach a broader audience. And don't forget to comment what you enjoyed and tell us what you are looking to learn more about. As always, thanks for your support and we'll see you on the next episode.